Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture. Because sleep looks different with a baby in the house. And because every family is different, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas, as well as their rich contributions to society, including the birthing and nurturing of children. And welcome to the Beyond Sleep Training podcast. I'm your host, Carly Grubb. And today's special guest is the wonderful Tracy Castles, PhD, uh, somebody I admire hugely for her work in this parenting space. I can credit Tracy with so much of my sanity and understanding of my children's behaviours. And I'm actually pretty much forever grateful for Tracy gracing the earth. So thank you for coming along, Tracy. <laughs> thank True blessing. you. Oh, well, and thank you. And I'll have to, I just, you're, you're a very uh, knowledgeable and skilled woman. So I'd love to give you a proper introduction and let everybody know that you're the director of evolutionary parenting, a resource you founded back in 2011 after you gave birth to your first daughter, Maddie. Mm -hmm. yes. And it began while you were in graduate school and continued and grown as you completed your PhD and moved towards a more direct work with parents and families, which yeah. we at the project have utilised many, many times. Tracy's one of our favourite people to send um, our families to because we know that the person they're going to actually meet at the other end is someone who's going to align well with their values. Um, she, Tracy has a Bachelor uh, 
of arts. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I'm reading these things here and I'm having trouble today with my brain in cognitive <laughs> science from the University of California, Berkeley, um, and a master's in clinical psychology from the University of British Columbia, and a PhD in developmental psychology, also from the University of British Columbia. The focus of your dissertation was on empathy and theory of mind in young children, which is another thing that I love about you. Thank you for your work in that. Uh, she's been published in many peer-reviewed journals, including the Psychological Assessment, the PL PLOS one, the Personality and Individual Differences, Midwifery, and many more. So massive introduction, Tracy. Uh, you, also live, you also live in Canada. Yes, I am Canadian. Um, we were just discussing huge temperature differences. I live in the very hot Australian outback. You live in the, the icy cold Canadian. Uh, yes. Although we're getting warmer. We do get summer here. It's kind of, you know, not, we're not always cold, just over winter. So we're coming out of it now, which is nice. Um, but yeah, so thank you. And thank you for all you do because the Beyond Sleep Training Project and Little Sparklers and everything is just such an invaluable space for families. Like I have always said, we need spaces like this because the peer stories and knowing you're not alone is probably the most valuable thing we can do for families in the space of sleep and parenting more generally. Oh, thank you. And it's like, I think that's part of the space we created was actually doing what we're about to do with you and the storytelling, uh, because it puts such a, a practical, real sense behind the theory of how you can possibly parent without sleep training your children because it sounds I know that I was very much in that case it's kind of like well that all sounds great now but how's it going to look you know in two years or even you know sometimes when you're deep in it how's that even going to look in three months six months like it all feels very heavy so mm -hmm. I'm hoping with the podcast and being able to hear people's stories, we actually can break through some of those barriers for people too. So thank you for coming on. Well, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm so used to talking science. It's a whole different realm here. But yep. I think, as I said, a totally valid and needed one. So Absolutely. it's a good space to have it. So I'd love to hear how how you came to your sleep approach with your family. Mm -hmm. um, well, I should start because I think like everything, it starts with my upbringing. And, you know, so many times I think just to, to share that I know a lot of families struggle beyond sleep training because that was their reality. That was what they grew up with. That was. And so it comes at them from various angles. You have grandparents and aunts, uncles, you know, your own parents telling you that this is just what you have to do. And it goes. And I was actually very blessed that I did not have that. So I think my story often differs from so many because when we talk about sleep and we can talk about privilege in many regards, when it comes to sleep, I was so obscenely privileged for the way that I was raised and what I witnessed being raised. So uh, my mom responded to every cry of mine. I mean, she said she was exhausted because she's still at that point. I was in a crib in my own room, 
downstairs from her, but she came every time and had to deal with it and, and everything. And she did. And so, but so I just, I'd never co-slept. I never had that experience right off as a personal experience, but I never, she never left me to cry. That was just not in her bones at all. And then, and she was left to cry. So I actually, you know, one of the things we were chatting about right before was this whole epigenetic and, and generations going down. So unfortunately her experience is quite different because being a child of the fifties and sixties, um, what was the advice then was pretty much to not pick up. And she grew up in the United States and the doctor's advice then to my grandmother was do not, do not respond, do not pick up, do not, you know, I think at one point it was my grandmother told me it was, you know, you, you should pick up your baby once every four hours. That was enough touch for them and nothing else. They have to learn to settle on their own. And, you know, my mom was honest about struggles she had from that. And it was hard. And my grandmother acknowledged later in life how horrible she felt doing it. She felt she was not a good mother from having done that. And that was a really, I think, impactful experience for my mom coming to the table there. So when she had kids, she just right off the bat was, I would, I'm not doing this. That is not what I'm going to do. So she started um, with just responding and that was great. And she was surrounded by a lot of um, probably hippie people at the time. You know, she had a home birth with me, which was completely you know, off the cuff, she had a midwife. Luckily, she had a doctor who lied and said he was the one that delivered me um, and vouched that she had to be at home for whatever reason. And so it was all, you know, under the radar there. And she kept kind of becoming part of this movement of these kind of hippie-ish moms. And so my brother was next in line. And luckily, I have really big age differences. And this makes a big difference as well. So I am almost eight years older than my brother. So I remember his birth and I remember his babyhood very, very well. And again, he started in the, in the crib, but she found at a pretty young age that he did a lot better if they fell asleep together, just lying on a mattress she'd set up in the room there. So she kind of started that little co-sleeping bit and it was just, but just to get him to sleep and then she'd transfer him in and that was that. Um, and then fast forward. So that was his upbringing and he was, you know, in the crib, but happy, but started out with a bit of that co-sleeping and again, always responding all the cries all the time, always answering them. And then my sister came along when I was almost 14 and she was a surprise and a lovely one too. We are all very happy she came along, but um, by now my mom had really shifted. And I think it was a combination of her mindset towards it and her age. She was 42. You're not quite as active and energetic as you are. And so, you know, she still had a crib for my sister that she napped in. But they were co-sleeping right from the get-go all the time, planned every night. And I watched that continue for years. Um, I, you know, to be honest, when I think about my sister, she must have been, I don't know, closer to seven or eight when she went in to her own bed in a room. So it was just that was there, they were there together. And it was awesome to see. And again, all the responsiveness, which she then passed on to me with my sister because of the age. So my sister was very colicky. Um, you know, now I know what I know. I would have probably had my mom do a whole lot of other things, but she just didn't know. But she's like, I'm responding. And so we used to take turns with the crying because she could cry for 
hours. And if I was home, my mom would be like, we're tag teaming out. And she would hand me my sister and I knew I was doing what I could. I would hold her. I knew I wasn't even expected to make her stop crying. I just knew the importance was that someone was holding her. And that was really profound for me too, because here was someone who was my mom at a breaking point at times from having held a screaming baby for two hours in a row. And even then she was not going to put her down and leave her to her own devices. Even though she wasn't able to soothe her at the time, she didn't know what was wrong, but that was it. And so she's like, no, you take over. And I would hold her and I still have memories. I had I'll date myself here. I had a Walkman at the time. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's an old gadget in which you play something called a cassette tape and you can have mixtapes, which is what I had, which is like a playlist, but of random songs that you have recorded onto your tape. And I, I love my, my Walkman and I would play, um, my music on that. And eventually a disc man and stuff came along and I had those two. And again, another old piece of technology um, that still exists, but they're very cool. You could probably see them in museums soon, but um, that was my, <laughs> I would sit and just listen to my favorite music while holding this crying baby and my music calmed me. It kept it from getting, you know, too much overwhelming for me, but that was my, that was how I, I approached it. So by the time, you know, you fast forward, I've had that experience kind of in these formative years where I'm learning about caring for babies and I babysat a ton. And, you know, luckily I only had one family I knew that did cry it out and I just didn't do it. They wanted me, you know, they said you can, but they also understood that I, I didn't. So when I put those kids to sleep, I mean, even the older I had, families where I fell asleep with the kids and they'd come home and I'd be like cuddled up co-sleeping with their child. Like, sorry, sorry, I fell asleep there. I didn't mean to. Um, and they were all lovely and non-judgmental about it. But so then by the time I had kids, um, I kind of knew it was interesting because as much as I wish I could say there was no hesitation in my mind and I was just going to co-sleep, the fear mongering that goes on around it is still there. So despite having the, you know, growing up with it, despite having read the science on it and knowing how to read it and the safety, there is that voice in the back of your head that tells you that this is not what you're supposed to be doing because you know, no one around you is doing that. And so we looked, I remember taking my husband to look at co-sleepers and, you know, gadgets galore to try and make it safer in the bed and everything. And, you know, we did buy a crib. Um, not that I planned on using it right away. We bought one that converted to a toddler bed because I thought and then converted to a full size bed for like down the line. So I thought that would just be cool to have something from babyhood on. And I did think like my mom, maybe, you know, napping in the crib would be something that would happen because that is again, what I grew up with, right? Like even my sister, they co-slept, but my mom didn't nap in the middle of the day. So that was a great safe spot to put baby down and go from there. And um, we didn't end up buying any of the weird gadgets to go in the bed. It was just like, I just, none of them spoke to me. I kept looking and they seemed less safe than how I would set up my bed. So that became kind of that, this isn't working. Um, and then my daughter was born. 
And, you know, back, she was born in 2010. So EP started in 2011, but it was, she was born in 2010 and she, uh, she's an orchid and a really, really high needs baby. The idea of sleeping anywhere, but touching me just was not in the cards right off the bat. That was absolutely not going to happen. Um, I still remember even in the hospital, um, because I would planned a home birth, but we had to transfer. So she ended up being born in hospital. And um, the, the very first day, you know, they have to wait. I hemorrhaged. I have both my kids, I had postpartum hemorrhage, but not, I mean, I felt fine, but they were all worried and, you know, they make you stay there for a bit. And so she was born at five in the morning and we finally got, we went home that same day, but I had to spend the entire day there. And I was, uh, we left because I was insistent upon leaving, but I was, and had my midwife's okay. I realized how that sounded. I did not just walk out without, you know, a medical clearance here, but, um, she, I wanted her on me there too. And in the hospital, they don't really go for it. They, they had these lovely um, clear plastic bins that I was supposed to put my baby into after my daughter. And that was not okay with me, but I also needed to sleep. And this was something that needed to happen. And I, again, as luck would kind of intervene, the nurse on call at that point um, came in and just said, she just listed off all the big risk factors. She's like, you've got none of them. Sleep with your baby. Just, you know, put the sides up. You'll be fine. I'll check on you. But what I have to do is I have to put the on the notice on the door. I have to put do not disturb because if anyone else comes in and sees it, that could be a problem. Mm. So this was she was like, I'm going to put it up and it means you may miss the hearing screen. We may have to go in a couple days and do that separately. I was like, great. Absolutely. Like I I'll take her somewhere to get a hearing screen. That's not a problem. And uh, so she did. And that was again, just that reassurance again from someone else. That's like, you're fine. Go ahead. Um, so we got home and from day one, she slept with me all the time. And it was, you know, I, I guess I'd never even thought about sleep training because it wasn't on my radar. I learned very quickly that the crib was very useful for laundry and the storage of anything I needed to pick up and throw in. Um, I don't believe she ever went in it, not once, not even to play, not because by the time I would have put her in it, it was so filled with crap that I'm not sure <laughs> she would have fit it, right? <laughs> this isn't going to work. No. Um, Plus, what am I going to do with all the crap that's in it? I'm not taking that out. So that became, so that was her, you know, um, from the start, there was just no, it, it just, everything went together to make that work for us um, right off the bat. And so that was, and we had lowered our, our bed to the floor and it was all that stuff we did. Again, I had the benefit of the resources and the knowledge of how to make it safe. And so I did do that and I made sure of doing that. And it was you know, I, well, I'll get to my son and then I'll get to where we are now. Um, but it just worked for us. It worked great. And, you know, she, she was wondering, I mean, she woke a lot. She needed a lot, but at no, at no point did I think I had to sleep train. I think at that point I knew enough to know, A, that was never going to be for me. I'm just that, that wasn't going to happen. All of my experiences to date just validated the importance of, their cries and the need to respond. And then her temperament, I also know 
never would have taken to something like that. You know, you think about babies are unique. And I know some people say, well, my baby fussed for a few minutes and then they were fine. Um, That's their story. That's their experience. That would not have been my daughter in no way, shape or form. Would she have just quietly fussed for a few minutes and gone to sleep without me? Um, I would have broken her. Like we talk about it, my husband and I, it would have broken her. And that is just, that is who she is. That is her temperament. And we were not going to break our baby. Um, And I don't think, you know, that's all that needs to be said about her temperament there, but that is, it was not going to happen. So we plugged along, um, co-sleeping regularly. And then my son came along five years later, almost six years later, actually five and a half. Um, and we were still co-sleeping at that time. And I will say actually up at that point, I had, I went into labor at about 1am with him. And so that was probably the first night that we weren't together all night. You know what I mean? For a certain point to the morning, um, I'd never been away from her either. For all those years, I, I'd never gone. Anytime we traveled, we traveled together. Um, we have slept together, you know, up every single day at that. And it was, that was my first time kind of, but I was in the house, so it wasn't a big deal. And she was sleeping through at that point. So she kind of woke up in the morning of like, oh, there you, okay, this is what's happening. and. Um, He was born at home, which was lovely. So there was no fear of being apart from her for any longer or anything like that. She did leave partway through because she told me I was making too much noise and she couldn't watch her shows very well. So it was fine. She went over to a neighbor's house, one of her best friends, and played there until my husband went to get her later. And, um, you know, similar, I think by the time number two comes along, there is... The pattern set. I'm not doing anything different. And I knew again the research on co-sleeping with a sibling and keeping the side safe. So I had, you know, one side for him, one for her. And that got hard to navigate a bit. That was probably the biggest struggle to kind of deal with was, you know, I nursed both sides with him, but on one side I had to stay awake to make sure I could transfer him back over to the other side. Was I remember that well. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely. It's like a, but I don't know about you, but I found I had like spidey senses tuned to the max when I put babe on that side. Yeah, I I think I did too. To be honest, it feels like long enough ago now. I'm not sure, you know, that I fully remember all of it Um, because, and he was also very colicky, Uh, much like my sister. We had bouts and we discovered stuff that I was eating was actually posing a problem. And when I was able to eliminate some things, um, it resolved, but it was a couple, few months of, you know, bouncing on a yoga ball with a baby who is screaming at the top of his lungs for three hours and me in tears, you know, thinking, what have I done? I'm such a horrible parent. How could this happen? And so that was there. And that was the, the hardest struggle. But even then, you know, I was not going to leave him to cry. It was not, I'd been there. Um, I did not go back and put headphones on and listen to music, which I should have done. I should have I gone back. To ask to my... you, did you use your strategy? And no, I didn't. Cause it was my baby this time. And yeah, I was just, you... you know, in that state of, I have your to, be able to fix been. this. Right. Mm. I, I felt like I had to, to be there, but it was, um, which is funny in hindsight, I go back and I'm like, oh, 
it so should have, because it really would have calmed me more, which probably would have helped calm him more because all of my hormones would have gone in the right direction. My cortisol would have lowered and everything. And that would have had potentially an effect too, but there we go. Um, Did you have someone that you could hand him to? Did you have that support at that time or were you very much? When my husband could, he would, but um, he was working, you know, had to be up early. And at that point he had to be up even extra early to pick up my stepson and take him to school every morning. Um, And so there was that issue of, how do you, you know, he's got to get up at 6am and can't really be up and drive, you know, a distance to get him and go back. So he was in the car a lot. And I didn't, you know, that driving when you're exhausted is such a danger. I was mm. not ready to do that. So this and was icy roads too. It, yeah, this is just not something we were I was comfortable with. So on weekends at night, if any happened, he was phenomenal. And just emotionally supportive too. And the other part that he did that was lovely was there was no judgment when the house was a mess, when nothing else was getting done, dinner wasn't cooked, laundry wasn't finished. You know, he understood all of it. It was, there was never a suggestion that I should have been doing anything differently. And that was probably emotionally so needed because you feel like a failure as a parent at that time, that if I felt like I was failing everyone else as well, that would have been bad. And he actually took leave for a bit, which was great and ended up being able to take. So in the first month when it was really bad, he took some leave, but then was back at work for a bit and then actually ended up taking a full parental leave that he has in Canada. So he got eight months of parental leave, um, which was lovely because I, it's split here between the parents. And because I had been doing my PhD, um, I didn't, I wasn't eligible for it. So he was able to take all eight months that he had four months are exclusively for the mother. And so in Canada, and so, but again, I couldn't take them because I wasn't, I'd been in school that was separate and not something that you get paid for. Um, so yeah, so he did, he did eight months and then that was way helpful. Once he was there, that was just brilliant and supportive and I could nap and I could, he took my daughter everywhere to do all her stuff. And that was just so lovely to have at the beginning there. So yeah. And so my son entered the bed, the family bed, and we had, um, the three of us. And I admit my husband at that point, I think, had been kicked out long ago. So he was, um, and I guess this is always, I always want to talk to families about this because I think there's a big stigma around parents sleeping separate or dad sleeping separately. Now, in our case, what happened was my husband snores. And when my daughter at some point had been sick, and I can't remember exactly how old she was. And he was like, no, she didn't get sick. He got sick. And he was like, I don't want to infect her. So I'm going to go sleep in the guest room for, for that time. And I've never slept so well. It was like one of the best sleeps of my life. And he came back. He's like, oh, how was it? Was it harder? You know, and I'm like, oh, actually, um, slept great. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, sorry. And so actually what happened is that um, lovely crib, that she didn't go into, we converted to the, I guess, bed. We bought a good mattress. And I'm like, well, you get it. And he got 
that bed was for him. So he has the crib bed. Um, and we've tried at various times. He comes back in for a bit. And I just, you know, when we moved from Vancouver to Ontario, we all got back in the one big family bed with my son as a baby and, you know, my daughter and my husband and me and then the dog that we'd just gotten a puppy because I don't know what we were thinking. And um, at that point, you know, again, the snoring just got so bad that at, you know, we stayed, we stuck with it for a bit longer. This day was, you know, like a couple of years, he was back in with the whole family bed. And eventually again, it was just, I was getting resentful because it, when it started waking up the kids, that was a problem. And, you know, so um, fast forward to now and I'm, you know, my daughter's 10 turning 11. My son is five and a half, almost five and a half. And we, I sleep with both the kids. So we still do the family bed. Um, I admit we always thought there was always these discussions going to be that when she's three, she'll sleep in her own room. When she's eight, when she's 10, when she's, we're like, I don't know now. I don't know. At some point, something will hit and she'll want to go into her own room and that'll be fine. My son, you know, I see the importance to him of all of this uh, too, right? Like she's always been very clear about the need to co-sleep and that close proximity and how much she loves it. But even my son, he will now say to me if he's mad at me about something like, no, I don't want to do this or no, I'm not doing that. Or he'll even say things like, I don't like you. But don't worry, mom, I'm still going to sleep with you. And that's... <laughs> Thanks for just clarifying, babe. That's, that's, that's so exactly. sweet. But that is his go-to for everything now. He can be mad about anything. and But it's always ends that there'll be a pause. But don't worry, I'm still sleeping with you. As if that's that's just immutable. I can hate you in this moment but I'm still going to sleep with you. So if that ain't true love, I don't know what is. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so I guess we go to where we are now and it is, you know, my husband and I will share a bed again when he decides to get his big sleep apnea machine thing going to help him. Um, the kids will eventually end up out of the bed. I know that I'm not under the illusion that I'm going to have a 30 year old living at home and co-sleeping with me, but for the time being, I got to say, I love it. It is such a wonderful way to reconnect. And I see it too with the kids when I've had a long day, you know, I, I look at today, for example, I had my, I started, I was in the office at 8am for calls and now it's 8pm here and I'm finishing and I've had some bouts in with them, but there are days I don't get to see them very much. And to be able to spend the night snuggling and holding and doing everything is really valuable to me. It's something that I find quite beneficial for my relationship with them, for their mental health, for my mental health. Um, and that's, so that's where we're at. That is, I mean, my very long winded, I'm sorry. I just kept no, going. Not here, at all. That was, it's actually perfect. And I think it's like a beautiful story to tell in that it doesn't have that classic ending where you know so many families are wondering when their kids got to get out of their bed and to hear mm -hmm. that you know you you've actually still have a family bed but it's actually yeah. not in any way a negative experience for your family I think there's huge power in that too because it yeah. kind of takes that sense of urgency out for people especially with those with younger little mm -hmm. people there's really it's okay. Like I know for us, we we kind of have a partial thing going on in our house where children migrate 
it's a bit of a musical <laughs> bed situation going on in our house. Um, but for us, it felt right to also have their own spaces as well as they grew. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm similar to you where it's like when they come in at night, it's not in any way a problem. Like it's a sure sign that they just needed a bit of closeness, mm-hmm. reconnection, and I'm okay with it too. So I love that about it. Thank you so much for sharing that, oh, Tracy. Oh, thank you. And, you know, I should say, we still do, just like you said, with the space, like people always question this. I'm like, no, no, no. They have rooms that are like theirs. It's just, they don't sleep in them, right? They've got <laughs> toys and desks and everything and under the sun and all the games and all their stuff that they can go to. They call it their room. They have all that space. There are beds in them. They're just not used beds. Uh, well, they are used with all sorts of stuff on it, just the way the crib was. Um but it is, you know, and I imagine they will end up in those rooms at some point uh, down the line. I say imagine because, as I said, I would have thought earlier, but who knows? This is something. And I always go back to to the research on, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the tribe right now, but they looked at the ages of co-sleeping in, in one of the tribes that continues for quite a while. It might be the Akka. But anyway, and it was for boys, they tended to stay close to to mom till about age eight before he would go off and then find their own little spot, still obviously within the tribal kind of co-sleeping area, but find their own space. And for girls, it was actually closer to 12, 13 that they stayed close to mom. Yeah. So there was into that early adolescence. So it was like, I kind of look at that age range and I'm like, well, I think those are what my kids are going to do. And they'll time up nicely. Right. And they'll both seemingly probably get there at the same time because they are just that five years apart. So I might lose both at once, which would be a little traumatic, but we'll see. That's a bit tough on a mama's heart. Right. Exactly. Like, (laughs) but we'll see. But I do keep that number in mind because I think it is helpful to have, you know, in cultures where that is normalized and where that is just the way that they sleep we do see this longer term and not all, not all hunter gatherer cultures have that. But one of the things that does come up all the time is even when kids that are younger are being kind of pushed out from sleeping with mom, they go sleep with siblings. So that sibling relationship becomes the comfort and with each other and everything. So keeping that in mind, pardon me, I think is really helpful for families to have with time. Certainly is. And I'm going to ask you, because we're really pushed for time now, but I wanted to hear, do you have a tip for the week that you'd like to share with people listening along? Oh my goodness. Um, hold your baby. Stay close. I mean, really it's, it's, I know it sounds cliched, but the time does travel fast. Like I look at my kids now and I mean, maybe you'll be lucky like me and they don't want to leave the bed and you still get all those snuggles and everything, but maybe they want to be out. And that's the thing too, is that the kids will do what they want to do in many, but they'll let you know. And if you can respect that and follow it, um, they will do it, but don't lose that time, especially not when young. I mean, there is absolutely nothing wrong with holding your baby for every sleep for as much as it works for you. I love that. And I love the 
way you phrased it as that you're lucky that your little people still sleep and cuddle with you because it is a positive thing. You know, you could make it seem like you're being tortured by your older children, but in reality, it's just not actually how the experience plays out. And that's something I think from a cultural perspective, we can actually get our heads around. There's a lot of positives to our children needing our closeness Uh, if we can embrace it in that way. So thank you very much for that very positive spin, Tracy. Oh, thank you so much for sharing these. It's again, like I said, if anyone can feel positive about it, I will feel good having shared. So awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm going to finish this up there, but thank you very much for the time that you spent with us. I know you've had a very long day, (laughs) but we do do love you so, and it wouldn't have been the Beyond Sleep Training podcast if we didn't have one of our favorite people on. So thank you, Tracy. And if anyone's needing support for their family as well, I'll be sure to drop Tracy's evolutionary parenting um, links into the show notes so that you can find her. Uh, She's got some brilliant work and I absolutely love Tracy's podcast as well, where she breaks down a lot of different um, science that's going on around parenting, all from things like what would there's been bioarchological, um, now I've lost the word for it, bioarchaeologists through to what was oh my gosh Carly's brain has fried I'm trying to think of some of the different types oh my of goodness I've had there. dyslexia research just came out this past week on there we have empathy researchers um psychologists you've yes. had ENTs uh, yes so many different had, people so it's, it's It's a brilliant podcast to listen to. So if you're looking for something else to subscribe to, apart from our little sparklers (laughs) and the Beyond Sleep Training podcast one, Tracy Cassell's uh, podcast for evolutionary parenting is an absolute killer. So thank you again, Tracy, and we'll let you go so that you can get back to your family. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. The information we discussed was just that, information only. It is not specific advice. If you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed, whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering. And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project and our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. If you'd like even more from the show, you can join us as a patron on Patreon and you can find a link for that in our show notes. If listening is not really your jam, we also make sure we put full episode transcripts on our Little Sparklers website for you to also enjoy and fully captioned YouTube videos as well on our Little Sparklers channel. So thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.